It's the seventh week of 2021. Can you believe it? So it's the seventh week, and that means that we're where? That's right, we are in Luke chapter 7. And today, what we're going to find in Luke chapter 7 is four stories, two miracles and two uh, interactions that Jesus has, and all four of them follow the same theme. And that theme is that Jesus is who he is, not who we think he is. Let me say that again. Jesus isn't who you think he is. He is who he is. And as Jesus lived out the calling that God had placed upon his life, as he was his authentic self on mission, there were times that people were disappointed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to disappoint people. Now, some of you are like, oh, I love disappointing people. It's what I live for. Jesus, he disappointed a lot of people, but he seems to be totally okay with it. Not because he doesn't care what other people think or he doesn't care um, about other people's feelings, but rather Jesus was very clear on who he was and he didn't allow other people's expectations to pressure him into being something that he wasn't. Now, I think that uh, wanting to uh, not be displeasing, not be unpleasant. I think wanting to please people can be healthy, but it will also be very unhealthy. Because if there are people that want you to do certain things that are unhealthy, if they want you to be something that's inauthentic to who you are, their expectations on you are unhealthy. And their disappointment, the difference between reality and their expectations, might pressure you to do or be something that you're not. And that is what disappointment is. Disappointment is the difference between expectations and reality. If you go to a restaurant and you're just expecting it to be okay, but then it's pretty good, you're impressed. But if you go to a restaurant that you're expecting to be incredible, your friends have talked it up, they've told you how amazing it is, and you go and it's just pretty good, you're disappointed. Now, the food was pretty good in both restaurants, but your expectations were different. And so one experience leads to imp being impressed, and another leads to disappointment. And the difference was your expectations. Now, in this passage, this chapter, I want to show you this theme through all four accounts. And so that means I'm going to try to preach through the whole chapter. I can't read all of it. I can't cover all of it. But we're going to try to go through very quickly all four of these. So first of all, we're going to see Jesus healing a Roman's a slave or servant in verses 1 to 10. We're going to see Jesus raising a widow's son from the dead in verses 11 to 17. Then we're going to see John the Baptist having a question for Jesus in verses 18 to 35. And then finally, we're going to see Jesus at a party at a religious man's house where a woman of ill repute or a prostitute comes and she worships Jesus. And that's from verses 36 to 50. So track with me through all of this. First off, let's start with the Roman soldier's servant. The Roman soldier, the centurion, he hears of Jesus's power and he wants Jesus to heal his servant. He has a servant who's sick and he loves the servant. He wants the servant to be healed. Now, the Roman doesn't feel like he's worthy to come to Jesus himself. So he sends some Jewish elders from the city to Jesus for him on his behalf. And I want you to see how they, they come to Jesus and what they say about this Roman in verses 4 and 5 of Luke 7. 
And when they, these are the people that the Roman has sent upon his behalf, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. They come to Jesus and they tell Jesus, listen, this man deserves your help because he's a good man. He loves our Jewish nation. Even though he's a Roman, he loves our nation and he even built us a synagogue. And so Jesus goes with them. And have you ever been in a, in a situation where you're about to watch someone uh, step out of protocol or do what is not appropriate for the moment? Um, and and in, in situations involving officials and important people, there's all of these things that have to be done. You know, you, 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 you say this at this time and you offer this gesture at this point. And if someone doesn't do what's just right, uh, it can lead to embarrassment. Perhaps you saw uh, this week, um, there was a video that went viral on uh, social media because there was a judge who was doing a, he was hearing from lawyers over Zoom and one of the lawyers had a cat filter on his Zoom. And so instead of appearing before the judge as himself, he appeared as a cat. It was just hilarious. And the reason that's funny is because not only is he a cat, but this is a, a he's appearing before a judge. He's appearing before an official. Well, Jesus is going to this Roman official's house. And the Roman official knows, like, this will get Jesus in some hot water if he comes into my home because Jews couldn't go into the home of a Roman. And so he's trying to help Jesus out and he sends another entourage out and he says to them, he has them tell Jesus, please just say the word for my servant to be healed. The Roman believed that just like he could, he could send word to have things done because of his authority and leadership, he knew that he didn't have to be physically present to be responsible for something and take care of it, that he could delegate it. He believed that just as that was possible for him, that it would be possible for Jesus' authority. And so he sends word to Jesus, Lord, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And so Jesus does it, and the man is he healed. And then look what Jesus says in verse 9. He is so moved at what this Roman has said. When he heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus is impressed with this man's faith and says to everyone, this Roman has more faith than you Jews do. I found more faith in this Roman than I have found in all of Israel. Now, it's, it's, it's noteworthy to me that Jesus wasn't so much impressed with the good things this man had done, that he loved Israel and that he had built them a synagogue, but he was very impressed with the man's faith. Then Jesus starts to make his way back to town and they encounter a funeral procession. And the focus here is not the dead man, that the funeral is for, but rather the dead man's mother. Look at verses 12 to 15. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. There's an emphasis on the mother. She, she was a widow. So here she's lost her son, and she's already lost her husband. And a large crowd from the city was with her. They're not with the body, they're with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. And so Jesus raises this man to life and then presents him to 
the woman. Now, it's incredible. This moment that happens, Jesus raises this man from the dead, that is incredible. But it's also pretty shocking that he's doing this for a widow woman. And in that culture, women, and specifically women who did not have a husband or a son to speak for them, they had very little standing in the culture. Jesus moves on the behalf of this widow, this woman who has very little status, very little power. And not only does Jesus work on her behalf, but Jesus reaches out and he touches the open coffin with this dead body in it. Jesus does something that would make him ceremonially unclean. And as shocking as it was that Jesus has the ability to heal this servant who he's not, <laughs> not present with and to raise this man from the dead, it's shocking that he does it for a Roman and for a widow, that he was willing to walk into a Roman's home, that he was willing to touch the coffin of this dead person. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who had some ideas about the way Jesus should go about healing people. I mean, just look at the way everyone has responded to the vaccine rollout. There has been some major uh, controversy about who's getting the vaccine first, who is allowed to get it before other people. And a culture that says that all are equal suddenly wants there to be a priority placed upon certain people because there's only a limited amount of vaccine right now people would have reacted the same way to Jesus. The miracles that he was doing, they would have wanted him to help certain people, to start with certain people. Jesus was blowing their minds, not just because of his ability to heal and even raise from the dead, but because of who he was willing to help and where he started. None of it fit their preconceived ideas about who the Messiah would be. You would think that if anybody has a good handle on the kind of person and ministry Jesus would have and be, that John the Baptist would. But what we find here in this passage is that John the Baptist himself is confused and bewildered at what Jesus is doing. Look at verses 18 to 23 with me. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Now they have to report these things to John because he's been arrested by Herod. He's been put in jail. John's not able to go and see them for himself. He has to rely on the messages, the reports of these disciples of his. 19, and John, calling two of the disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. If anyone should have had an accurate perception of who Jesus was and the ministry that he would do, it should have been John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. He was sent by God to point at Jesus and say, he is the one. He is the Lamb of God. But apparently even John was caught guard by the way, the manner, the people that Jesus was helping. Luke doesn't tell us exactly 
what John found confusing. And perhaps he didn't know himself because he's relying on witnesses who were there and heard the question asked of Jesus, but there wasn't a reason given for it. Maybe John was thrown by Jesus helping Romans or raising the dead. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus had the ability to do these things and John found himself sitting in prison while all of this is happening. I mean, put yourself in John the Baptist's shoes. He's done everything right. He's done exactly what God called him to do. He stood for the truth and he finds himself sitting in a jail cell while Jesus is beginning the kingdom. This is not what he was expecting. And the reports that he's hearing of Jesus beginning his kingdom, beginning his ministry, perhaps he's expecting, well, soon I'm going to hear that he's releasing captives. Soon I'm going to hear that he's overcoming Romans. But John is getting reports that don't match what he was expecting or what he was hoping for. And let me tell you, I can relate to John because the past year and a half, past two years have not been what I was expecting. It caught me off guard. This past week, um, my wife and kids got a snow day on Wednesday, but there was a thought that maybe they were going to get a snow day on Tuesday, that we were going to get three inches of snow perhaps over the, over the night, Monday into Tuesday. When we woke up on Tuesday and there had been no snowfall, there was quite a bit of disappointment. I joke that I finally had to coax Nicole into going to school where she's a school teacher at. But Nicole and the kids were disappointed. They had expected a snow day and it didn't happen. They'd gotten their hopes up. This is not the timeline I would have chosen. This is not how I expected this year to go. I had some other plans in place. Things didn't go like I thought they would. Perhaps John is just struggling with the difference between what he had expected and what was reality. And that disappointment, that confusion, that confounding causes him to send these men to ask Jesus, what's going on? Are you the one or do we wait for another? That's a big question. That's a bold question for John to ask. John is doubting, is Jesus the Messiah? John MacArthur said about John the Baptist's confusion, he said, because the works of Christ did not parallel with what the people thought the Messiah should do. The people all thought the Messiah, when he came, would first knock off the Romans, give Israel back her land, and provide an instant welfare state. That's why in John 6, when he fed the multitude on the side of a hill, they tried to make him a king. They saw in Jesus health, wealth, and instant happiness or bliss. They saw all wrongs made right, and everything would be as it ought to be immediately. John had become a victim of the thinking of his day. He'd become victimized by thinking, by the thinking of the people around him. Let me say that again. It's a John MacArthur quote about John the Baptist. John had become a victim of the thinking of his day. He had become victimized by the thinking of the people around him. Now, if some of this sounds familiar, it should, because I preached on this and John the Baptist reaction back in October, when I preached on Matthew 11, when we first introduced the idea of winning the day. And I talked about how we are being shaped by the thinking of the world around us, that we are constantly being bombarded by information in our news feeds 
and on social media and on news channels and news sites, all of this information and the people that we're around, that that thinking is shaping us. And even the very best Christians we know are being shaped because even John the Baptist was shaped by the thinking of his day. My emphasis then was that we should be winning the day, starting each day with God's word, that before we go to social media or news, we start with God's word, because I believe how you start your day will shape the rest of your day. John the Baptist had to make sure that he went back to Jesus. And when there was some confusion about what is Jesus doing, that's what John did. And I want you to realize that what John did is exactly what you and I can do. John couldn't go to Jesus himself. He's in jail, so he has his trusted disciples go and ask Jesus for him. They go and they ask Jesus and bring back the report. Jesus shows him all of these miracles. He, in that moment, heals all of these people, and he says, go back to John and tell him the things that you have seen. And that's exactly what you and I get to do. Though we don't get to be present there with Jesus in those moments, there are trusted, verified witnesses like Luke who have taken all of these eyewitness accounts of these miracles and they recorded them for us and these have been preserved for generations and we find find copies of God's word from hundreds of years ago and it hasn't changed. God's word has been preserved for us. You and I, we have these trusted messengers like Luke who have taken the gospel message of what happened in Jesus's day and they have passed it on to us just like these disciples passed it on to John the Baptist. And so he gives John a demonstration that he is who he says that he is. But then he adds, blessed is he who is not offended in me. He adds that last line in his message for them to carry back to John. Verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. This word offended, it could be displeased or disappointed. Now, being offended is a very strong form of disappointed or displeased. But Jesus is saying, blessed is he who isn't disappointed in me. Now, Jesus didn't want anyone to be disappointed in him, not because he wanted to live up to their expectations, but rather he wanted them to change their expectations to fit reality. Hear me. If Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, your expectations need to change. If Jesus doesn't look like what you think he should look like, your thinking of what he should look like should change. Jesus isn't who you think he is. Jesus is who he is. And your thinking should change to meet or to match who he truly is. Jesus would go on to say that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born among men. Now, I don't think that any of us are greater than the greatest prophet. John the Baptist was a great prophet, but even his thinking had to change. The problem of changing reality into what we want is not limited to the pronouncements of people who want you to live in their reality. It's not just people out there in the secular world. It's people within the own, our own church. It's people within our own b- group of believers. It's you and me. It's us. It's false prophets. 
Carl Truman writes about in The Rise of the Modern Self that we have put ourselves in this place of judgment where we ourselves judge what is real, what is true. That's the reason that so much of our age is dictated by things, saying things like, I think and I feel. We feel like we can force reality in what, to what we want it to be. Jesus says here, blessed or happy is he who's not disappointed in me. Blessed is he whose expectations don't dictate what I should be, in other words. Joel Green, in his commentary, says, Jesus pronounces a blessing on any who are willing to undergo a conversion in their view of God's redemptive purposes and Jesus' mission on the earth. You will be blessed if you're willing to change your thinking about Jesus. You will be blessed if you're willing to change your thinking about who God is. You see, it's a good thing. It's a good thing when we are disappointed with God, disappointed with Jesus, when he doesn't meet our expectations. Because in that moment, we have the opportunity to to close the gap between what we expected and what was real. When there is that gap, we recognize that our expectations were wrong and we need to adjust them to reality. But here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to fill the gap between our expectations and reality. We're tempted to fill it with falsehoods. It is much more tempting to fill the gap with what we're familiar with than to change our perspective and our expectations to what is real. And oftentimes, we will think that we're fixing it by filling it with falsehoods. And there are plenty of people who are willing to give us falsehoods to fill in the gaps. But that just makes us more likely to collapse. That just makes us more likely to believe a lie. Let me, let me illustrate what I'm trying to say to you. How many of you remember the Minneapolis Bridge Collapse? It was August of 2007. I would have never guessed that it was that long ago. But in rush hour traffic, cars just slowly making their way across the I-35 West Bridge outside of Minneapolis over the Mississippi River just suddenly collapsed. Over a dozen people were were killed. Over a hundred people were injured. Multiple cars, trucks, and even a school bus on this bridge that collapsed into the Mississippi River. When that collapse happened, it wasn't, it wasn't that, the, that no one knew the bridge was in bad shape. They were actually working on the bridge in those moments. If you look at the pictures of the collapsed bridge, those shocking photos of a collapsed bridge laying in the Mississippi, you can see orange barrels where they were doing work. They knew that the bridge had problems and it needed to be made structurally sound. They were working on it in those moments. But what they did in doing construction on it is they brought 300 tons of construction materials onto the bridge. They added to the weight that this weakened bridge was holding up. And one of the contributing factors to the collapse was all of the stuff they brought on it to fix it. And I'm afraid that many times, instead of fixing the gap between our expectations and reality, our hope of what God's going to do and what he really does, instead of fixing that and bringing our expectations in line with who God really is, we try to 
We try to fix it by piling on all of this falsehood, piling on these verses and scriptures out of context, piling on these prophecies that sound good to us, even though they're not true. And all that does is bring on the collapse. When we have filled our hearts and minds with things that sound good but aren't real or aren't true, we lead ourselves into greater dismay. If in that moment, John the Baptist had propped himself up with, well, hopefully, hopefully Jesus is going to set me free soon. Hopefully, if he had propped himself up with, with hopes and dreams and aspirations that had no basis in reality, he would have been setting himself up for major, major disappointment. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he talks about the Stockdale Paradox. Stockdale was this, this, this leader who was a part of the group of soldiers captured and kept in Hanoi Hilton. And Jim Collins asked him how he led these soldiers to, to remain uh, hopeful in the face of years of captivity as prisoners. And he said, well, you had to always believe that you were going to be freed, but you couldn't hope in something that wasn't real. You had to constantly hope, believe that you were going to be freed, but you also had to be brutally honest with yourself about the facts. He said that fellow prisoners who constantly told themselves, hey, we're going to be home by Christmas. We're going to be home by Easter. We're going to be home by July 4th. They were constantly disappointed. They would set these hopes and dreams and goals on things that had no basis in reality. And when that came and passed, they were disappointed. He said, we maintained our belief that we would one day go home. But we were brutally honest about what we were going through. John the Baptist maintained his belief in Jesus, but he wanted the brutal, honest, real facts. And maybe they didn't line up with what he was hoping for, but it was real and it was true. And what we find in God's word is not what we want to be true, but what is actually true. And if Jesus has never disappointed you, if God has always agreed with you, if, if the God that you worship in your mind has always believed exactly what you think he should believe and done exactly what you think that he should done, you don't believe in God. You believe in a God of your own making. And Jesus has not invited you to follow the Jesus in your head. He's invited you to follow the Jesus who really is. And I want you to see a powerful verse that's in the middle of all of this. Two verses, verses 29 and 30. Look at verses 29 and 30. When all the people heard him, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and the manner, the type of prophet that he was. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized. I, I want you to think about that phrase, justified God. Verse 29 says that the publicans justified God. That literally means coming to a verdict of approval of God's actions. These were people that said, I, I concur with what God is doing. These were people who said, God is doing what is right. But there were people who said, God is not doing what is right. Because they had been predisposed to, to stick by what they knew. 
They had not accepted the message of John. They had not repented. And so they found fault with God. And let me just say that if you ever find yourself finding fault with God, you have found yourself in the wrong. If you don't approve of what God is doing, you are putting yourself as the judge above God. And that is a dangerous place to be. Because they didn't approve of what Jesus was doing, they rejected the will of God for their lives. They found themselves at odds with God. But the publicans, the sinners, the evil ones, they found themselves approving and welcoming the work of God. Why? Because they had taken on the baptism of John the Baptist. And what was the baptism of John the Baptist? It was the baptism of repentance. They had been prepared. John was sent to be the preparer, the forerunner. They had been prepared by John the Baptist's message because they had turned from their sin. And they were ready to go with the flow of what Jesus was doing, even though it was unexpected, even though it wasn't what other people were thinking he was going to do. They were ready because they weren't stuck in their own wrong thinking. <clears throat> they had left their way of life. They had turned from that. And hear me, no one should be more open to change than people who follow Jesus because we've already changed from our life of sin. We've already recognized that our life is broken. And it doesn't mean that we're open to any idea. It doesn't mean that any idea that comes along, we're going to accept it because we know that there is a problem with man's thinking. We had our, our own faulty thinking, our own human thinking. We had our own meat-mindedness, our own wrong thinking. But we are open to change because Jesus is constantly changing us. You should be different than you were a year ago. I know I am. And I hope that I am different in another year. I hope that God keeps working on me because he has brought me a long way and I still have a long way to go. These people recognized just how much God had changed in them and that there was so much more that needed to change. And so it was easy for them to say, well, it doesn't surprise me that God's doing things differently than I thought he should because I clearly don't know what God knows. I clearly don't know the right way. I'm following him because he knows the right path. Republicans were ready to go along with Jesus because they'd already rejected their old lives. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they were not ready to change their thinking. So they rejected the will of God. Listen, I know that some of you have been disappointed by God this year. I, I have. There have been some moments that I say, God, this is really not the way that I wanted things to go. And especially when I look back at the first quarter of 2020, when I look back at how things were going one year ago from now. But whenever I'm disappointed in God, I need to think again. Whenever I'm tempted to think that God got it wrong, I'm thinking wrong. A couple of years ago, I had jury duty. And the lawyers were going through and they were asking people questions. And they asked me if I knew the defendant. And I said, I did. Because I had written on my jury selection form that I served as a chaplain at the Warwick County Jail. And sure enough, here the defendant was someone who had been in my church services, been someone I had prayed with. And so when they heard that, well, they threw me out because they assumed I probably already made up my mind about this guy. I had, a, I had a previous knowledge of him. And so they took me out of the jurors' selection pool. And they also took everyone else who was in the room when I told that story. Yes, he's been in my church services. They took everyone else who heard that out as well because they thought I had probably uh, 
change their thinking about this guy because he's been in my church services. And so we're walking out and people are talking and this one lady who had, had been there, had been present when I said this, that they threw out as well, she said, man, I hate that they took me out. I was going to fry that guy. Here she had already made up her mind. She had already made up her mind that this guy was guilty. We hadn't heard any evidence yet. She had already made up her mind. The wrong perspective to have is, I've got it all figured out. The right perspective to have is, Jesus knows what he's doing, and I'm going to get on his page. And that's what we see play out in the final story. In the final account, verses 36 to 15, Jesus is invited to a banquet by a religious leader named Simon. And Jesus is sitting at this banquet, and a woman of ill repute, a woman who is most likely a prostitute, she's a known sinner in the community. She comes, and she is weeping at Jesus' feet, and her tears are falling on Jesus' feet, and she is washing Jesus' feet. It's this sign of, Jesus, you are you are good, and I am not. Jesus, you are great, and I am, I am doing this humble act of service in washing your feet. And Simon, the man who's hosting this party, who has invited Jesus, says to Jesus, don't you know what kind of woman she is? Simon is amazed that Jesus is allowing this woman to touch him, to be associated with him. And Jesus says, Simon, if you had someone who owed you a lot of money and someone who owed you a little bit of money and you forgave both of them, which would appreciate it more? Simon said, well, the one who's been forgiven much would appreciate it more. And Jesus said, this is why she does this act of service because she has been forgiven much. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, your faith has made you whole. You are forgiven. The woman was humble. How do we get to this place where we're ready to change our thinking to come in line with Jesus' thinking? How do we get to this place where we're ready to change our perspective to Jesus' perspective? It's humility. You see, humility makes room for faith. Humility makes room for faith because I believe less in myself and more in Jesus. I believe less that I'm right and more that Jesus is right. Why were the publicans ready to approve God's actions? Because they had been forgiven of much, because they had been humbled, and in their humility, there was room to believe in Jesus. Jesus isn't who you think he is, and you aren't who you think you are, because Jesus is far better than you know, and you are far worse than you realize. And when humility makes room for faith, we're able to believe less in ourselves and more in God. Now, it might be that you're here today and you know that you're a mess. You might be here today and you know that you have been forgiven much. You're like this woman. Or it might be that you're watching this today and you're like Simon, the religious leader, who doesn't think that he's been forgiven much. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, you've hardly even welcomed me here. Simon was prideful. Maybe you're more like Simon. Maybe you need to have some of your wrong thinking proven to you. Maybe you need to recognize that you don't know it all. 
but hear me. Whether you're the humble woman who knows just how lost in sin that you are, or you're like this prideful man who needs to recognize that you have some wrong thinking, Jesus sat down at the table and interacted with both of them. And whether you're the humble, broken sinner or you're the prideful man who's in desperate need to see his wrong, Jesus welcomes you to the table. He desires to interact with you, to show you the difference between your expectations and reality, to show you the difference between what you think and what is, what you want and what's true. Jesus will sit down with you and show you the truth. He came here to show us what is true. He welcomes you to the table.